0: We are in a series called Uniquely Luke, and uh, this is week two, and the title of the message is The Interview, and so would you mind standing with me in honor of God's word? We're going to read from Luke chapter 1, 57 through 80. Here we go. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son, and her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered and immediately his mouth was open and his tongue loosed. And he spoke, blessing God and fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about throughout all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid up in their hearts saying, what then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. to hear you, to see you, and to respond to you. Lord, please be glorified in this service, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 You may be seated. Last week, we talked about Luke. Luke is writing to this guy named Theophilus, who is most excellent Theophilus, which was a legal term. He's either a judge or a lawyer of some sort. But somehow, he is representing Paul. But not just Paul, it's not just about Paul's defense. Paul is in a Roman prison at this time. Scholars believe that Luke wrote the, his gospel in, from 62 to 65. The gospel and Acts are both one document with, with two parts, but both are to this one guy, Theophilus. And he's not just defending Paul, he's defending the Christian faith. It is a whole account of the Christian faith and why the Roman Empire doesn't need to concern themselves with what Christians are about and what they are doing. And so he is writing this full account and he is using eyewitnesses. He is, those are very important in a court of law. It is from the beginning telling the whole story. So Luke has access to Matthew and Mark. Matthew and Mark are written earlier. And he says that he has looked at other accounts probably those two, but there were probably other documents that had the sayings of Jesus or or stories about Jesus, and he has committed himself to eyewitness sources. So, John the Baptist, he got nothing from Matthew. Matthew says, John appeared out of the wilderness, came out of the wilderness preaching repentance and that's the first initiation. He just, he was in the wilderness and he just came out and Mark's gospel says this about John the Baptist, John appeared out of the wilderness. <laughs> I mean, if that's all you have, it's like, who is this John the Baptist guy? Was he created a fully grown man? How, does he, how do you just appear? We wouldn't know except for Luke's gospel so Luke Luke tells the story but he's committed to eyewitnesses so I want you to use a little holy imagination so I'm going to say some stuff that I can't prove but I want you to I want I want you to lose, use a little holy imagination Luke is writing he's he's a gentile he's Paul's friend traveling companion maybe his best friend he calls him the beloved physician and he's working on this document for Paul. And he wants to tell the story from the very beginning. And the problem is, is Zechariah and Elizabeth have long since died. They were old in 3 BC when Jesus was born. So they're, they're, they're gone. So if he wants to tell that story, he is going to have to find Mary. Mary at this time is about in her late 70s. And so Paul says, this is the person that you need to talk to. And so at that time, in the the early 60s AD, Peter was also in Rome. That's where Peter was, was martyred as well as Paul. So Paul has no relationship with Mary, but he has a relationship with Peter. So he gets Peter and tells Peter, this is what Luke is doing. He wants a story from the beginning. He wants to tell the whole story. And so he needs to talk to Mary. So Peter says, okay, I will take you to John. John, not John the Baptist. No, this is John the Apostle. John the Apostle at the cross, Jesus said, this is your mother. You're you're in charge of her care. And so so Peter gets Luke to to John, explains what the mission is, and that he needs to be with Mary. And John says, okay, well, all right, it's not going to be easy because Mary, she's in her late 70s. And she is back in Nazareth. It says in Mark 6, 3, that she has at least two daughters. And you get older, you want to be near your, if you're a mom, you want to be near your daughters. And so I'm, I'm picturing her back in Nazareth. And so John's like, I'll take you. I will introduce you to her. We will make this journey together. And so, so she takes Luke up there and introduces Luke to Mary, tells, tells her, what he wants to do, and so John says, I'm going to leave you now, and you guys go ahead and have this conversation, and so that's what we're at. We are at this conversation, this interview between Luke and Mary. I will be playing both parts. (laughs) Mary, I cannot tell you what an honor and a privilege it is to be talking to the mother of of my Lord. Thank you for granting this time. So I have heard that at the very beginning of this, that you saw an angel. Is that right? (laughs) Yeah, I did see an angel. I saw Gabriel. And he told me wonderful things, amazing things. My heart came alive of the things that he was speaking to me. and But before he was done, he told me something. He said, my Aunt Elizabeth was six months pregnant with the one that would come before the one I was, would, would now carry. And then Gabriel was gone. And I'm like, I know Elizabeth. I know Aunt Elizabeth. Aunt Elizabeth, the story on her is she was barren. Her whole life, they wanted to have kids. She could never have kids. And, and now she's old. If she is six months pregnant, that's a miracle. But that miracle would confirm this miracle. And so I immediately set up this trip. It's 100 miles from Nazareth to the hill country of Judea. So it would be a big trip. And I didn't feel like I could tell my parents what it was about. I'm just like, I have to make this trip. I have had an experience with God. I have to see Elizabeth and Zechariah. I have to go right now. And so they arranged it, and it took me over a week to get there. And uh, when I saw her, this is going to sound really weird, but her baby witnessed about my baby. Here's how it happened. She said, I am, the child within me is filling me right now with joy. How could I receive such an honor to have the mother of my Lord come and visit me? And she said, Mary's like, Luke, I was, I was stunned. It was the first confirmation, other than this angelic experience that I was pregnant I could see that she was pregnant, I'm pregnant, she's speaking, we were just absolutely overwhelmed with the goodness of God and the events that we were caught up in. But it it was interesting because her husband couldn't speak. Her husband could not say a word. I stayed for three months until the baby was born. And when the baby was born, All of a sudden, Zechariah got his voice back, and he gave this amazing prophecy, and then he told us the whole story. But you're not a Jew. You're not a Jew, are you? No, I'm a Gentile. I'm Paul's friend, and Paul introduced me to Peter, and Peter kind of arranged arranged this whole thing. I've heard of Paul. I've heard lots about Paul, but I know Peter. I could tell you stories about Peter. If we had time, I would tell you stories about Peter. But if we're going to go back to the beginning, with you being a Gentile, I have to go all the way back to Abraham. God spoke to Abraham and said that if Abraham would leave his country and obey him, that he would make a great nation of him and there would be a descendant that would come a seed of Abraham that the entire world would be blessed through this descendant. This was the great promise of God. And Abraham had Isaac, and Isaac had Jacob, and Jacob wrestled with God. And when he wrestled with God, God changed his name to Israel, one who struggles with God. And he had 12 sons, and each son became one of what we call the 12 tribes of Israel. Well, before Jacob died, he prophesied over each one of his sons. And this is what he said over Judah. He said, he said about Judah, he said the scepter, and that's the ruling scepter, will not depart from Judah until the one comes to whom it belongs. To that one belongs the obedience of Judah. The nations. And so we knew way back then that this promised seed that was going to bless the entire world was going to come from Judah. Well, following that, the 12 sons were in Egypt because of a famine, and they lived in Egypt for 400 years. We call them the silent years. And God broke the silence. 400 years later in a burning bush and he spoke to Moses uh, uh, about the promised land and about the promises and about Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and that he hadn't forgotten and that he heard the the cry and the misery of his people and so Moses led our people out of Egypt and brought them to the border of the promised land and then his disciple Joshua is the one that actually took them into the land and while they were in the land it started good and then they started doing what they wanted to do and then they started to want to be like the nations and they started asking God for a king and God said all right I will give you a king. Well the second king God gave them was a man named David. He was known as a man after God's own heart and David is in the, in the tribe of Judah but God spoke to David that it would be his family now. It was his household that this descendant would come that would build a kingdom that would never end. And I've I've read Luke, is that your name? I have read Matthew's account. Matthew gives an account, and in that account, he gives the lineage of my husband, Joseph, and that David had Solomon, and that is the line of kings, and Joseph was in that line, and so Matthew gives that because he's trying to tell the Jews that this this is the one, and I I appreciate that. but Let me tell you, Mr. Luke, Joseph had nothing to do with that birth. (laughs) And I got to thinking, people are going to wonder, Joseph is from the house of David, but I'm also from the house of David. And so I took it upon myself, this is years ago, to go to a scribe and give them my full lineage. I come not from David's son Solomon, but from David's son Nathan. Joseph's father was Jacob. My father's name was Heli. And so I had them make my entire lineage so that they would know it wasn't just Joseph that came from David. I came from David, too. And I have saved this document for all of these years. And now you're the one that's going to make the report. So I think you should have it. Thank you, Mary. (laughs) So back to my story. David has a son, Solomon, and then Solomon rebels against God and has idols and and we're not going to go into all that, but because of that, under Solomon's son Rehoboam, Israel splits. And the way it splits is 10 of the tribes um, go to the north, and they retain the name Israel. And two tribes stay in the south, and they take on the name Judah. Well, Israel immediately went into idolatry, forsook Uh, the living God, and made idols and king after king after king. They did not have one good king. They had 19 kings. They were all evil. Eventually, God removed Israel. Assyria came and attacked and took them into captivity, and they've never returned from that captivity. Judah, the southern kingdom, didn't learn from it, and a 100 years later, God had to take us into captivity as well. We were in captivity for 70 years. And then God allowed us to come back and rebuild our temple and to rebuild the city. But we continued under Gentile rule as we still are today. The very last prophet of the old covenant was Malachi. And the last words that he gave was that before Messiah comes, that Elijah would come. That Elijah would come, that there would be a revival in Israel 400 years of silence. And people wonder about that, but it's not really silence. God actually speaks in silence. There was a longing for God that came out of our silent years. There was a longing to hear his voice again. There was an expectation of these promises and as the oppression increased and of course the 400 years, we knew about the other 400 years of silence. Here, we're coming up on 400 years of silence. We knew something was going to happen. Forgive me, Mary. um, Are you gonna tell me the rest of the story? Young man, we lived in silence for 400 years, and you can't have 30 seconds of silence without thinking, of course I'm going to tell the rest of the story. (laughs) It was in the days of King Herod. What a wicked, evil man he was. And in your, whatever your account is, don't mix this king up with... Antipas, Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas was never a king. He was a tetrarch, and he was the one ruling Galilee in the time of Jesus' ministry. This is, this is his dad. There, there, had, there were no Roman procurators yet. He was the installment of Rome that ruled. We were a client kingdom of the Roman Empire, and we had a king, and his name was Herod, very wicked man. And it was in those days, while he was still alive, that Zechariah was assigned. He was in a, a priestly home and he was in a, a, a division of priests that regularly made sacrifices in the temple and it happened to be his turn. And so he went in to do his duty that he had done many times before and all of a sudden, on the right side of the altar, there is an angel in full brilliance and he was terrified. He was terrified. When Zechariah got his voice back, he couldn't stop talking. He gave that prophecy and then he told Elizabeth and I everything that had happened. And here's the story that he told. He was absolutely terrified. And the first thing the angel said to him was don't be afraid. Your prayers have been answered. Your wife Elizabeth is going to have a child in her old age, and you are to name him John. And young man, you might not know this, but John means God is gracious. And the angel says to Zechariah, you're going to name him John, and he is going to be born at God's appointed time. Well Zechariah I will never forget Zechariah telling Elizabeth and I the story. He said, "Honestly, I was in a bad I was kind of in a bad place." I when he said, "Your prayers have been heard." I had given up on my prayers long ago. Yes, we had prayed in faith for Elizabeth to get pregnant when she was young and we prayed that for years and we hoped it and we believed it and we but we had long since stopped praying that prayer and it was the idea of her getting pregnant now. And to raise her hopes is almost cruel just to think about it. And and then this idea that, the because the angel said it's not just that she's going to have a baby, but that that baby whose name is John is going to have the spirit of Elijah on him and that he's going to lead a revival in Israel and all of God's promises are coming true and he's preparing the way for Messiah and that this would be our son and this is what this child will be. So it wasn't just my prayers for my wife that were going to be answered, but the prayers that I had prayed so fervently for Messiah to come and for revival to come and for the oppression to be lifted. And honestly, I had stopped believing those prayers. When I heard young men pray those prayers about Messiah, a cynicism had risen up in me. And I just, I just like, yeah, I used to be young once. Yeah, I used to be naive once. And my whole framework was that God is holy and God's judgment is on us. God's judgment is on me, it's on Elizabeth, it's on Israel. And honestly, the hope of a pregnancy, the hope of a revival was, was, was past. And I had just kind of embraced this other worldview. And so I said to this angel, he said, I crossed my arms like this and I said, Give me a sign that this is true. And Zechariah said to us, he said, I don't know how it works with angels. I don't, I don't know if they get angry the way we get angry, but let me tell you this about this angel. He was not happy. <laughs> and here's what he said to me. He said, and when, when, when Zechariah told us this story, he stood up. And he said, this is what the angel said to me. I am Gabriel. I speak to you, while standing in the very presence of God and I'm here to bring you good news and you need something else. Okay, you want a sign? I'll give you a sign. You won't be able to speak until the baby's born and it happened just like that. Gabriel went as quickly as he came and I couldn't speak but let me tell you what happened during those 9 months in those 9 months my enti- first elizabeth gets pregnant and i see her joy and if she is pregnant in her barren old age, that means everything is true. That means this child is means that means God is gracious, is the statement to the human race that God is gracious and that the, the Messiah is coming and that the promises are true, and this is gonna be a turning point for not just for Israel, but for the whole world. And during that nine months, Mary says, and I can just I can hear him saying it, my entire frame of reference changed from God is hard to God is gracious. From we are under God's judgment to we are God's, under God's favor and that he's coming to us in his tenderness and his mercy not to judge us, but to forgive us and to bring all of these promises to pass. That's the end of the interview. Now, Here's your worst fear, that I am now going to preach a sermon. No, no. That was, 90% of the sermon was just heard, but I am going to say a few words. So yesterday I was at High Point, I got to do a workshop called Dealing with the Demonic. And I'm going to give you a couple verses from it and talk a little about how it ties into today. So here is 1 Peter 5, 8, and 9. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. All of 1 Peter is about suffering. So the enemy right now, in the midst of their suffering, in the midst of their pain... The enemy is speaking very loudly to them, and he's, he's trying to, to frame their suffering with a, a message that is meant to devour their faith. So First Peter starts out in verse 6, Peter says this, he says, you are grieved right now. By various trials There are various things going wrong in your life There are trouble at home Trouble at church Trouble with the Romans Trouble, trouble, trouble You are grieved Because of, he says Various trials And he says But these have come That God might test you So that your faith Is purified and refined like gold. That God doesn't just think about your comfort today or whether you're happy today that God is thinking 10 20 30 40 eternity and he's making a faith in you that is strong that is deep that is like gold and so don't worry about these trials these various trials because God in his great love and mercy he knows all about them and it is it is just a test they're not going to last forever they're just a test and but they're going to serve to refine you like gold. It's very interesting that the word translated test, the Greek word translated test, is also the Greek word translated tempt. So which is it? Does it mean tempt or does it mean test? It all depends on who's doing it. Because when hard things come, God is testing our faith to refine it, to strengthen it for his glory, for our good, so that we make it, so that we become strong. And the devil, in the very same trial, very same circumstance, has a different narrative where he is tempting you to lose faith. He's tempting. He wants to devour your faith. When it says he goes about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, this is how the enemy devours us. What he wants to get you, he's got to get your faith. The the most important thing about you is your faith. So there are two narratives when we are suffering. One narrative is from God and what God is doing, and the other narrative is from the enemy and what he is doing. Now, the problem is this. The enemy goes about as a roaring lion. The loudest voice in our head, the loudest emotion we have when we are in a place of suffering is the, is the wrong narrative. <laughs> it is, God, where are you? God, you're not good. God, you don't love me. God, God, you're against me. God, you're judging me. And the enemy's very convincing. You would not, if God loved you, if God was for you, if God, this wouldn't happen, this wouldn't happen. Look at all the evidence. And it's just so loud. And all the while, God is whispering because God's narrative is very different than the enemy's narrative. And whichever one you believe is going to be, whether you become strong and stand or whether Christianity just becomes part of your past. I tried that, didn't work. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, it says this. Paul says, I fear for you, lest as the serpent deceived Eve with his cunning, so you be led astray from simple, pure devotion to Christ. The enemy in his cunning has been deceiving Christians for 2,000 years. He's got a lot of practice. Bible says in 2 Corinthians 11:14 that he disguises himself like an angel of light. So he's very good. He he's very good at disguising himself as God's voice. He's also very good at disguising himself as your voice. When Peter says, "This will never happen to you." Jesus says, "Get behind me, Satan. You have in mind the interests of man, not the interests of God." So the thought Came from Satan, but it wasn't about Satan's interest, it was about man's interest. He, t- he imitated Peter's voice, Peter, and, and you clever, cunning devil. He's, re- he's very good at what he does. You and I have only been around here for a few years, so he's smarter than us. And so we need, we need to be alert, we need to be aware that every narrative in our mind might not be true, just because it's real doesn't mean it's true. Just because it's loud does not mean it's true. We need to discern what is speaking to us so that we stand against the enemy and we agree with God. Because many of us today, like Zechariah, feel like God forgot us. (laughs) Like certainly it's past time. I prayed, I believed, and that time has come and gone. And what Gabriel says to him is John is going to be appointed, he's going to be born at God's appointed time. John is not late. This child that you've been praying for, that you used to pray for, you don't pray for anymore, but you used to pray for him, he's coming just on time. But not your time, God's time. How many know God's got a different schedule than you do? And just because it didn't happen in your time doesn't mean it's not going to happen? And so maybe you're in that silent, cynical time where you're questioning the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God. I fear for you as the serpent deceived Eve. How did he deceive Eve? Questions? Did God really say? Did God really say that? Does God really mean that? Is this word even true? He just puts a question mark. Is that, is that really true? then what does he do? Question mark on God's character. God knows the day you eat, you're going to become like him. God is holding on. God ultimately is not good, and he's not got your good in mind. He's got only his own, and, he, and you're just this being used for, you know, Eve, if you go off on your own, things will be much better for you. A question about the goodness of God. Guys, that's a, that narrative is a lie. Life is hard, but God is good. God is always good. He always has your best in mind. In the wisdom of God, that which will glorify him the most will also bring the most good to you. How does he do it? I don't know, but it's one and the same. God's always good. So in the middle of COVID, it's a very dark time. It was easy to lose track of God is gracious. And it could easily feel like God is against us, God is judging us, God is angry at us. And I remember hearing Carrie Job when the song first came out and she talked about, it was her and three guys wrote this song together. It was right during the pandemic. And she said, God is good. And he wants you to know this. He He is for you. He is for you. He is for you. He is for you. Even though there's a pandemic, even though life is hard, even though we're on lockdown, God wants to know that his face is shining on his sons and daughters.